Gen C is the generation of the new internet. In Gen C, the C stands for crypto, but it also stands for creators, the connected consumer and collectibles, both digital and physical with on-chain provenance. It stands for culture and characters, the ones we play in games and the companion ones that AI is building alongside us. It stands for community and digital citizenship and the new set of transparent and trustless tools being built to govern them. These are the people who were raised on a different philosophy on how they look at money, how they look at identity, how they look at privacy, and how they look at the hybrid, digital, and physical spaces being built all around us. And finally, how they reimagine their relationships with the communities and companies they interact with. We focus on how brands, large and small, are building for these audiences. Welcome to Gen C. Avery, welcome back to Gen C. We're here again. This is our first episode post our big reveal of our content changes and the way that we're evolving this podcast. Really excited about where that's going to go. I think actually today's guest starts to get us there a little bit because while he dabbles in Web3, he's much more in the sort of larger areas, I would say, of gaming and experience design that are the places he's playing. We'll talk about him in a second. But first, Avery, I got to tell you, this was a really weird week in the world of social media. And I thought I needed to hear your take on the letter X. What are your feelings about what's happened in the social world this week? Yes, it has been a big week with the reveal of X, Elon and Linda Zaccarino's perspective sort of being shared. And just like anything that they've done recently, it's pretty polarizing. Uh, I think there we've seen X tweets and, you know, consumers kind of clamor to FUD what this new platform can be. They certainly have an ambitious vision to basically do everything on the internet. And some of you all who are listening to this might recall when Elon launched X.com with that same ambition many years ago. So he's taking a big swing, rebranding Twitter to X. And it's actually this rollout is already live. I've you know seen it just when I'm going on to X. I haven't seen them change the app icon yet, but it's just a matter of time. It's happening. And yeah, I think it's a big deal. There's been so much feedback around everything that Elon has done since joining Twitter, both good and bad. From a product perspective, there actually have been material improvements to the product. From a consumer feedback perspective, there's been a considerable amount of pushback. And from an advertiser perspective, there's been a very considerable amount of drop-off. So this has not been a smooth road. It's been more like a roller coaster that we're on. I personally use Twitter slash X every day. I love the platform. And I'm actually rooting for them. I hope that this works. And I think if anyone can, you know, have such a bold vision and actually make the impossible happen, Elon Musk is one of those people. So I am curious, optimistically curious on what they're going to be building and how this will sort of be rolling out. From an advertiser perspective, I can say many of our partners are still off Twitter. Many of them are very apprehensive around, you know, what sort of is coming next for this. But Many of our listeners will also remember that a year ago, everybody was wanting to be off Facebook and Meta. And I remember years when many of our clients were off YouTube because of what was happening in those places. So the good news is marketers have a very short memory and I could see them getting back on board quickly, especially with someone like Linda helming the ship and her deep relationships with advertisers honed over many, many years. So I guess I'm neutral on this. I'm just kind of waiting to see how it all pans out. Not overly optimistic, but I also don't think it's going to be a total disaster, which I know many, many people do. What do you think, Sam? I'm also trying to be neutral about it. 
As someone who for 20 years was in the agency business and part of what we did was help brands launch new brands, help brands rebrand themselves. The fact that it was done on a Sunday night, that sort of the next day it had already happened, that you can go on X, I mean, I'm still gonna say Twitter because you still have to use the Twitter URL to get there. (laughs) And on the page today, you still see the X logo, but it still has a button to tweet and it still has a search Twitter box. And they said that tweets are now (laughs) X-E-E-T-S and yet my timeline says tweets on it. Like there's so much messiness to it. Yes. That just as a brand person, it annoys me to no end that that like rollout should be so clean and thoughtful. And you and I are in a chat group together and I sort of put up as a joke that this reminded me of the 2009 Tropicana Orange Juice rebrand that the Arnell Group did. You know, they rebranded orange juice and people went bananas to the point where they had to go back to the old brand. People hated the new brand so much. They were like, we're just not going to ever buy this only because like they made the orange bigger on the box. Right. And so here we get something that just in very Elon fashion feels messy. It feels forced. It feels rushed. And one can say, Hey, you can't blame the guy for it. He wants to build in public and that's what he's doing. But I think we just see that that stuff makes a lot of people angry and emotional. And the other thing I just keep wondering about is just this idea of you've spent 15 years with a brand and you've built an equity to something that has almost 100% unneeded recognition around the world. Everyone knows what Twitter is. And it may not have been the best product, but to your point, a lot of people were just still habitually using it. And maybe they thought Elon could make it better. And so if the perception is he keeps making it worse, because it's messy, because it doesn't work as well, because he fired all these people that he needed, then what did he really buy? And I understand it. He wants to build a financial hub that is a true super app like we have in Asia. And anyone who's been to Asia, WeChat, Alipay, there's a bunch of these apps that really kind of have everything in them. And people are very comfortable using them. We've never been able to do that here. No one has successfully been able to weave a super app together. He seems to think, and according to some tweets I saw, this was almost his genesis idea also at PayPal, was the sort of financial hub marketplace. I just don't know if it works. And so I think Elon is such a genius when it comes to parts and labor and logistics, and whether that's Tesla, whether that's his solar company, whether that is SpaceX, he does that stuff so well, better than anybody else in the world. It just seems like he's not that good at this piece of it. And so I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but the doubts keep like stacking. And that's my big worry about X. I think we're going to have to see what's happening. And then now there's this other side of it, which is, you know, all of the rumor and speculation that he wants to make Doge the payment network. This is Dogecoin. So just going back to the C in crypto in Gen C, it would be very interesting if this actually was the reason that Doge became actually functional in the long run. He's made Doge happen once. It could happen again. (laughs) It's possible. So Sam, let's talk about the other thing that's very hot right now, AI and this sort of creative content business. Creators all over the world are, you know, clamoring to push back on what's happening in the world of AI, whether they're writers, actors, musicians. Some people are embracing it, but macro, we're seeing a lot of pushback. What are you kind of seeing in the space? Well, I think we're actually seeing... The creator conversation around Web3, the protect my royalties conversation playing out in real life in the media business. 
These are people who say, you use my likeness, you use my visage, you use my creative work, and you want to strip away the thing that gives me royalties, that gives me an income in perpetuity. And I think that is not that dissimilar to what Blur has done or the zero royalties have done to the creator marketplace in Web3. I think we actually have to stand up that creators are what make movies amazing, what make music amazing, what makes books amazing. And if we're going to strip that out and, you know, Netflix did put up a job posting for $900,000 for an AI project manager to manage content AI on their site. Can I have that job? (laughs) They're going to spend pretty heavy to try to, I think, how this will help their production flows. But I do think that the writers, the actors, the artists, the directors sort of already gave in. But I think that they have to stand tough a little bit here and it's going to be painful to get through it. I think so too. I think that this like summer 2023 is going to be like a milestone of, you know, how the creative industry takes a stand on AI. People are taking it really seriously. So we've got to see how this plays out. And I agree, it's not an easy discussion, not an easy decision, but people are starting to see how these things are going to play out longer term. And, you know, now is the time to put your flag in the ground. Absolutely. All right. With that, Avery, after the break, we are going to be back with Sam Schoonover. He is the innovation lead at Coachella. He also is the founder of Forward Studio, which provides that work not only for Coachella, but also for Universal Studios and a bunch of other folks. Really interested to hear how they're pushing Coachella into gaming, into Web3 a little bit, and into other areas of innovation, really to think about the idea of media and entertainment and where that industry is going to go. So we'll see you after the break. Right, we are back. This episode 37, we have Sam Schoonover, the innovation lead at Coachella, the amazing music festival. And he is also the founder of a really creative studio called Forward Studio. So really excited to talk with Sam. I know Coachella has been doing a ton of work in gaming. Sam himself is on a ton of Web3 as well. And as we know, Coachella really is the premier music experience that folks go to every spring. And they have a ton of things they're working on. So I'm really excited to sort of talk with Sam, get his thoughts on kind of Web3, the connected consumer, how gaming is going to enter the conversation and what he's working on. So first, Sam, welcome to the pod and please tell us your background. Thanks for having me, Sam, Avery. Appreciate it. Professionally, I come from like music blog era. When I was came out of college, I was like started music blogs and was building websites really just to kind of get free concert tickets. And then thankfully I started working with Golden Voice in 2016 and started focusing exclusively on Coachella in about 2019. And with the help of the Golden Voice team there, I really dug into kind of what was possible on the innovation front and kind of collectively understood there was a ton of potential when it came to preparing you know, what's the biggest festival in the world for the future. And so I left Golden Voice in 2021 and started Forward Studio with a really incredible team of people. And we kind of did that so that we could scale the new technology experiences that are possible for Coachella. And we've been doing that ever since. And so now we also work with clients like Universal Pictures to support their innovation team and emerging technology efforts and are kind of digging further and deeper into the entertainment space to do the same with other companies. What a fun story, starting to build your passion for emerging technology and exchange for concert tickets and see where that's gotten you, which is pretty, pretty impressive. 
And it sounds like you really grew up professionally in the live events and experiences business, and which is, of course, an area that's seen extraordinary growth in the last decade, barring a couple of years there where obviously things shut down for a bit. What is it about live events that, you know, from your perspective, why do people have such an insatiable appetite for live events? Those were a very sad few years, by the way. And I think they certainly help a lot of people realize like the value of live events in our society, our culture, our networks, our relationships. I think like there's a few things that I think people have such a large appetite for live events for. I think one is just the experience of being at an event has become really stimulating to all the senses. Stage production continues to evolve. The lights get bigger. The stages get bigger. You know, you get sound frequencies that you don't get anywhere else. It's just really, really impactful experience. One that kind of really stays with you over the course of a year. You ask a lot of people what their favorite weekends are from the past year. And typically like one of those is a music experience. I find that kind of commonality amongst people if they like music. Uh, I think at the most foundational level, though, people really just want to hang out with each other and have unique experiences with their friends that create stronger relationship bonds. I think it's all really like instinctive in a way. I think we've been dancing around fires, singing and playing drums for probably the entirety of the existence of Homo sapiens. And so I don't think that it'll change. And I think it will just continue to get more interesting as those experiences transverse that divide between physical and digital. But Sam, when we were dancing around fires and playing drums, we didn't have a magical device that could capture it and share it with the world. So it really feels to me that the resurgence in live events in the last decade, decade and a half, is intrinsically tied to social media. Would you agree with that? Mm, definitely. You know, there's also something about kind of how special certain live events are when it feels like it's exclusive and not shared and private to you and a group of people. But that feels like a very, like something that's very special to a smaller group of people. I agree that festivals like Coachella, like really started to gain worldwide popularity because of platforms like Instagram, right? Like Instagram being the first photo sharing application and people could share these like images of places that they were. And if those places were really beautiful, and I think that's one of the things you'll hear the Golden Voice team talk about to answer the question, why is Coachella so great? Like one of those things is the venue. It's a beautiful place, California, palm trees, desert mountains, sunsets, and you know all of the art installations, all those different things. They just look incredible on social media platforms. And I think that's what started to get a lot of people's attention around the world. And then you know, if you want to talk about sharing that experience on content platforms, you know, you look at the YouTube live stream, the YouTube Coachella partnership that's existed for quite a while. I think we're almost on 10 years. And that really like brought a much deeper experience of Coachella than you can get on a platform like Instagram to people around the world. And I think that's become such an important part of the Coachella experience of that live stream because it's just gotten better and better every year. So you're just talking about how beautiful Coachella is in person. And I agree with that. It's incredible in person. And I think Coachella and Instagram and YouTube and social platforms go hand in hand because that also fuels the flywheel of driving demand for the festival. Of course, it's about the music, but it's also about the outfits, but it's also about being there and it's about your friends and it's about you know the brands who are, are there participating. It's about the culture and the community around Coachella. And, you know, I've noticed, and I think part of this is your work in sort of the innovation field, Coachella has also started to build these sort of digital first experiences for consumers who can't be at the festival, both through, you know, partnerships like the YouTube one you mentioned, and 
also through, you know, integrations with like immersive experience platforms. Like I think I saw Coachella Island. Can you talk a little bit about that, about how you're helping build the festival beyond the experience itself, beyond social channels, but also into these, I would call them like new digital realms? Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, the other thing that Coachella is really great at and really great for is highlighting artists, right? And being a platform for new creatives. And, you know, something that all of the partners and the people that we work with at Coachella have heard us say 5 million times is like Coachella is a platform for creators and has been for over 20 years since 1999. And for a long time, that was musicians, and now it includes photographers and videographers and now augmented reality creators and gaming creators. And so I think partially because we want to continue extending Coachella as a platform for creators, and then also partially because we saw the value that was added to the Coachella brand through a partnership and a program like the YouTube live stream, we've really started to think about places that Coachella can exist on other platforms and how to differentiate that experience on other platforms. Because I think what we don't want to do is just like duplicate what Coachella is on that platform. We want to create something new, something that people can't get at the physical IRL experience. And so that led us to an amazing partnership with Epic Games for 2022 and 2023. And as a part of that partnership, we built Coachella Island, which is a evergreen virtual companion to the festival, kind of like Coachella IRL, it's a stage for musicians and a canvas for gaming creators, like I said. And for fans, it's just like a vibrant playground filled with art pieces and mini games and hidden surprises. I think it's also the only festival experience where fans can actually play with fireworks uh, without a security guard getting mad at them. It's also multiplayer, so fans can do this with their friends. The current soundtrack for the game features music by Porter Robinson, who played at the 2023 festival. You can also discover 2023 art installations by Maggie West and Guvench, which were like reimagined for the island and also brought to life through a partnership we did with Meta in AR on Instagram. And so these art installations had a physical experience, an augmented add-on, and then also like a virtual kind of reinterpretation. And then as of since the festival, we've been doing what we call Coachella Picks, which is just introducing like new experiences built in Fortnite that people can access from Coachella Island, which is just kind of a part of our mission and like supporting the Fortnite creative creator economy and ecosystem. And I think like at a high level, you know, Epic Games vision for Fortnite really aligns with the way that we see Coachella Island evolving for fans, musicians and creatives. And the approach, Sam, correct me if I'm wrong, is that Coachella, which now is two weekends a year, has that kind of 24-7, always-on opportunity that you can also do experiences that are game-only, that you don't have to be, you know, you're not just seeing what's happening live, but maybe that you start programming that on a more evergreen cadence. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's the idea. You know, we're slowly building up into that reality as the Fortnite creative ecosystem continues to grow and new tools are made available. And frankly, the cost of producing these experiences comes down a little bit. And we can look at like really interesting relationships with creators to make sure that the content on the island stays fresh. You know, we find the available attention from younger folks continues, seems to get shorter and shorter. And so Keeping these spaces really interesting and fun requires a lot of work and attention. And so we've been digging into that over the course of summer and plan to continue expanding that work. Are there any other places that you are excited about, you know, in that sort of same vein of creating a new digital experience that helps extend sort of Coachella into a new realm? 
you guys thinking about Roblox, you thinking about Zepetto, you thinking about any other cool things. I'd love to hear, you know, how that strategy might be playing out on other platforms as well, if that's something you're considering. Yeah, yeah, definitely considering it. I think the one potential vision of the future of Coachella is like music creator-led experiences that exist on a bunch of different platforms and are very unique across every single platform. A few of the other places that we've been exploring over the past few years is adding augmented reality content and experiences to the live stream itself. Working with Epic Games, working with YouTube, using Unreal Engine and Unreal tracked cameras at the festival site so that we can give artists like Flume, the Gorillas and Bad Bunny the ability to take their visuals and create them in 3D space around the stage. Doesn't require a phone, doesn't require glasses, just the YouTube live stream. And I think it's a really interesting way to continue building out that Coachella experience in kind of virtual space and also gives artists a great opportunity to do a lot of world building. For example, the gorillas brought their characters to life and they were like playing instruments on top and around the stage, which was really, really cool. We also think about immersive spaces like mobile augmented reality and then headset-based mixed reality. And so we have done a lot of work in those spaces over the past two years, something like 30 different AR experiences on mobile over the past two years and are currently planning and working towards ways that we continue improving that work. Sam, one of the areas that Avery and I have spoken about, both with guests as well as with each other, is the idea of kind of these more Web3 forward models around ticketing, around access, and kind of how people can own something that gets them into something else, right? Now, we know that you guys had dabbled a little bit in the NFT space with the deal with FTX before they kind of exploded. And I'm assuming you guys will figure out some way to make those people whole again. But, you know, this past weekend in Miami, for example, was Rolling Loud. And Rolling Loud has their Loud Punks community, which if you own one, you can go VIP forever to any Rolling Loud event. So as you think through the evolution of Coachella, I guess, how do you think about, and you may say it's not for us also, but how do you think about the idea of tokenization through ticketing or tokenized experiences that are happening at the events? Is the ownership economy something that you think you want to bring into the Coachella experience or bring Coachella into more Web3 through the same technology? Yeah, I think to touch on ticketing for a second, you know, Coachella is a part of the AEG ecosystem and sells tickets on AXS, Access, and those companies are really big and they're really great at what they do, right? And so I think what's interesting to me and I think to everybody else in the space is like tickets as access. It may not actually exist through that ticketing platform itself for some time or maybe ever. I don't know what their roadmaps look like, but Allowing an NFT to be redeemed for a ticket is another story, a lot easier to do. And I think kind of still fulfills some of those same goals. And so I think that stuff is interesting to us, right? Like tokens as access for anything, whether that's a uh, a channel on a Discord or a like custom bar set up at the festival or a VIP ticket in itself. Last uh, in 2022, we did all different kinds of access, like front stage viewing, being on stage having like a trailer in the back, lifetime passes, lifetime passes to Coachella, all sorts of different things that we played around with. And well, we had a lot of difficulty around the FTX explosion. We've honored all of those benefits for those holders. And, you know, we really made a commitment to those folks who became a part of that community in 2022 and will continue to create value for them 
have some plans in place over the course of the next six months. I think, you know, we always want to build intentionally and ensure the value and the quality of the experience for fans and creatives is really genuine. And so sometimes that's a longer process. I think loyalty NFTs is a concept that's thrown around a lot today. We definitely feel that loyalty is unlikely to be improved just by adding NFTs to the equation. I think there needs to really be existing user behaviors that can be enhanced, an existing community that can be strengthened, and I think valuable prizes and benefits that can be distributed. And then adding NFTs can incentivize behaviors, organize communities, track benefits and loyalties. So I think there's value there, but like we're being very intentional about how we go about that. And I think, you know, thankfully Coachella is a really strong brand and worldwide audience and it gives us and Coachella's partners a lot to play with. Yeah, I love that. And I agree with you. I think a lot of times people think you can just like add an NFT and it's going to supercharge loyalty somehow. And like the reality is most people who are attending Coachella don't care at all about NFTs, but they care a lot about artists. They care a lot about the Coachella community. They care a lot about their fits. They care a lot about the, you know, Instagram posts they're going to get out of it and, you know, the memories that they're going to make at the festival. And if there's a way to add sort of a digital component that helps them further engage, that could potentially be valuable, but potentially not. It really depends what that is, what the idea is. So it's interesting to hear your perspective there. You're kind of keeping your eyes on it, but not necessarily jumping into it until you've got really the right use case that you feel great about. And I know you do a lot of work sort of for other partners at Forward Studios. Can you tell us a little bit about like how Forward Studios was born, what you all are all about? Yeah, for sure. Forward was born out of just the desire to increase the work that we do with Coachella. And since then, have built a really, really incredible team and are starting to gain a really good perspective on the work that we want to do. Right now, it's a consumer experience studio, and we focus on entertainment culture companies. We use emerging technology to build products and experiences that help clients grow and really consider ourselves more of a long-term partner than a kind of short-term campaign-focused vendor. And I think that kind of focus on quality over quantity allows us to really tailor the teams and solutions so that we can focus on that growth. With Universal Pictures, the first project that we did with them was around Renfield, the movie release with Nick Cage. We helped them realize an on-chain game for that movie. We developed a digital strategy, designed UX, Web3 platform integration in partnership with Aptos, and brought the campaign to life across experiential, digital, and marketing platforms. Fans who played the game were able to collect digital collectibles, featuring poster and comic art, and had a chance to win some really cool prizes like a pinball machine or a golden ruby the ring. Um, I think one of the most important aspects of working with Universal on that was to make something that really felt like it was an extension of the Renfield story and complemented it just using a new medium. And I think that's a lot of the thinking that we're bringing into Coachella over the next few years too. It's like people care about storytelling, they care about content, and we want to make sure that these programs, like you said, they are just complementing a behavior that already exists versus like trying to incentivize them to do something different or something that may not like be valuable to them without an NFT or a token of other otherwise. So I think, you know, since then we've been really engaging with Universal on new projects and products and definitely excited to share more about those soon. Sam, are there any technologies, whether for Coachella or for Forward, that you think our audience should be keeping an eye on? Not that I want you to give away too much alpha on stuff you're building, 
but is there stuff that you've been seeing out there that excites you that are sort of within the world of this new internet, but that may, you know, change the way that users engage with the things that they love? We have to talk about AI at some point in a podcast, right? <laughs> of course. Mandatory. Mandatory these days. I think that um really interested in how AI can allow fans to play a part in the IP and the lore creation around brands. I think we're a little bit of a ways away from that, but you know, brands have a constant appetite and desire to be creating content and then to be deepening and strengthening the lore and the storytelling around them. That's obvious with like an entertainment company or like IP or a franchise, less obvious with a consumer or like a CPG company, but you see brands playing in that space. And I think that as those tools get better and uh, these communities continue to grow stronger on platforms like Discord and whatever else comes next, I think that these fans will be more empowered and more enabled to build content alongside these brands. And I think that's going to be a really interesting space. I don't think that, you know, it's one of those spaces that doesn't replace human creators, but just expands the number of human creators that can use these tools to create value. What are some of the challenges both that consumers and brands are facing and creators are facing on these social platforms? And what are some of the solutions you think are starting to show up on the horizon? Well, I wish I was a social media expert to answer your question really well. But I think the challenges with social media right now is just like, you know, what everybody talks about, aging social graphs that feel more and more irrelevant as you go on older platforms, algorithmic feeds that are showing you more and more what an algorithm thinks that you want to see. And then, of course, like lock in on these platforms and, you know, all the time that we spend, like, interacting and building a network that then becomes irrelevant when that platform is no longer serving us. And so I just like, at my ripe old age of 34, I've now I feel like I've been burned by a few of these platforms and feel like I don't really want to invest that much time into them. I feel a lot of hope and promise around a lot of the Web3 kind of decentralized on-chain platforms that are popping up. And I think there's definitely some solutions to be had there. And I also feel, you know, Discord has its like UI, UX challenges, but I feel like really opened a lot of people's eyes as to what it means to actually allow your consumers to build relationships with each other through the common affinity for your brand. And that was the first time that that happened. You know, one of the projects we manage at Coachella is Coachella's Discord. And to see like the true community, like digital relationships that turn into physical on that platform that I've never seen on any of the other platforms, I think was really, really amazing to watch. I love Discord for that because I've seen the same thing in specific use cases. There's plenty of times when it doesn't work, but when it does work, you're like, wow, these people literally met on Discord. And because of the nature of the platform, they can communicate sort of like, you know, always on fashion and really like have a chat. And then they meet in person and like used to see these people who have built these digital first relationships connecting IRL. And because there's that sort of pseudonymity that goes along with Discord, I think that there are pros to that, but there are also challenges and, and definitely challenges for brands. So I'm always rooting for Discord. What's your take on threads? We've got to ask that to you, Sam, because we're only a few weeks after the launch. It was hot. Now it's not. How are you feeling about threads? I think I'm super interested to see what happens. I don't have any you know, spicy predictions for you other than I think it's an interesting way for Instagram to kind of renew and revitalize the social graph there. 
I know that they're introducing a feed to allow people to get more control over what they see on the platform. And that sounds super interesting. Really curious how they're going to differentiate from all the things happening on Twitter slash X, whatever it's called now. So we'll see. Yeah. I wonder if we need to retire the phrase social media app in general. And I wonder that because really there is a messaging layer on almost everything. The fact that you can create a spreadsheet in Google Docs and start doing a comment tree within the spreadsheet to, you know, let your accountant and you be able to go back and forth. Isn't that different from Slack? Isn't that different from what people are doing in video games? Isn't that different from what people are doing on threads? I keep feeling like we are trying to remake 2007 all over again sometimes. Whereas I can only imagine on Coachella Island, there's going to be ways for people to communicate with each other. Now, it still needs great moderation and it still needs purpose, but we weave between our real lives and our digital lives all day, every day at this point. And in the same way we could pass each other on the street and have a conversation, we can meet each other in digital spaces and have a conversation. I think you're right. I think that the real key thing you said was the idea of building a network and then that network becoming obsolete because the platform is irrelevant. And that, I think, is the promise we all like, right? And the idea of decentralization that maybe my network doesn't have to become obsolete in the future. And to me, that's the most exciting thing because I do think it is, I, I really can't think of many apps that I use and with any regularity that don't have some messaging component. And whether that messaging is one-to-one or one-to-many or many-to-many, it still feels like we just forgot that what we really like to do as people is talk, you know? And no matter how much automation and no matter how much AI you put into something, that we're always going to feel best when we can communicate with someone about the things we don't know. It's easy to say, book me a restaurant at Carbone next Saturday to an AI and hope that I can get it for you. But it can't be your dinner companion as well. Yeah. I think it's interesting when you look at all of these platforms, and all these applications, and what they're trying to do is replace people just hanging out with each other and talking. Right. Like I love that framing on it because it's so true. And granted, you know, these digital 3D platforms, the Fortnites and the Robloxes of the world have their own kind of curation and spam protection and all these different kinds of issues that they have to consistently deal with because it's not just hanging out with people IRL. But I think that's what interests me most about the idea of online community building is how it's going to evolve in those spaces. So just to bring it back, Web3, let's talk about that for a second. Avery and I made a, a bit of a pivot in this podcast last week where we, we just confirmed something we've been talking about for months, which was that Web3 shouldn't only be on the blockchain. That Web3 really is about these foundational layers of a new internet. And so whether it's gaming, whether it's the creator economy or the ownership economy, whether it's digital citizenship, whether it's about the sort of collectible way that you can sort of add to your experience or augment your fan experience, all of these things feel like whether they're on blockchain-based rails or they're in a centralized system like Roblox. Like we as a business, we get into that, like what should it be on a lot more than a consumer will. And I just want to go back a little bit to sort of when I think about Coachella and the stuff that you're building around Universal, which is, a you know, that's a movie. It's meant to be a communal experience as well, that all of those things are always done better in person. And I think that this is something that I wonder how much the Web3 conversation loses, which is the idea that like there is nothing that will replace the people who were at Coachella watching Beyonce. Being in that environment at that moment 
and being there physically, you and that community of however many people fit around the stage, that's a once in a lifetime thing that you can watch as much as you want on Netflix. You can play the Beyonce at Coachella video game as much as you want. None of it will ever equal that. And so I do think there's such a power in the humanity piece of it. And maybe I think when we think of all of those C's, Avery, that you and I talk about, the sort of idea of the C being something that really is also inherent to being human and how we connect with each other and help facilitate that feels to me like the thing we keep losing when we just keep talking about technology and we don't talk about the sort of compassion and the side of empathy that comes with the fact that I get to play a game with a friend, whether we're distributed or not. Like there's just so much power in that. And I, I know I'm just getting very emotional about these things, but <laughs> I'm a big music fan is not even a big enough word. And there's nothing more important to me than going to see a show that can change your life, you know, and you guys put those on every single year, which is pretty outstanding. Is there any learnings there as we and the like larger audiences explore deeper into Web3 that we can learn from the Coachella live experience, the Coachella digital experience, the Coachella always on experience, et cetera? I think my first take on that is like conceptually and philosophically, yes, right? The Coachella user experience, if you will, has been perfected and primed ever since 1999. Those folks like do an incredible job at making that better and better. And I think at a high level, right? Like physical experiences are what we're most familiar with. And so the design around those experiences, you just have the most a lot of experimentation, a lot of failing, a lot of learning for the past you know thousand years. And I think that when I think of what's missing from Web3 or just emerging technology experiences today, it's, it is that user experience and a really intentional design around those consumers and what it is that they want, what they know they want, what they think they want, what they don't know that they want, you know, all those different things. And I think that more focus on fun, engaging, useful experiences, whether it's virtual or IRL, is what's going to make these technology platforms more usable, more popular, more interesting to the people that don't care about the technology, which is just a, a common role that I continue to see so many people forget, right? Like consumers don't care what the technology is, how it's built. They only care about the value that it provides in their lives. And that's like the most important thing I think to think about. Perfect segue. So Sam, you're in the music business. You've built your whole career around this. What is your take on music NFTs? Is this the next big thing? Is this an opportunity for creator monetization? Is this an opportunity for community building? Or are we just putting the cart a little ahead of the horse for most music fans? I sure hope so. I think I'm excited to see the industry move away from square images with audio files. I think it was kind of a skeuomorphic way to approach audio NFTs. Being a big SoundCloud fan and music blog fan from back in the day, I love to see platforms like SoundXYZ filling the hole that was left in the kind of independent artist bedroom pop producer community. I'm not an expert, but I think that there's something missing for me when it comes to building an NFT and then hoping an artist gets big so you can sell it at a profit later. I think you know we have to think about what we're trying to improve in the music industry, which is revenue for artists, stronger fandoms, and feels obvious to me that in-game items and experiences should play a big role in supporting artist revenue and fandoms, but I'm not entirely sure how we get there from here. Yesterday, I saw a post that someone put on Twitter where for $76,000, you could buy 
a pair of 10 and a half sneakers that had the Apple logo on it, which was a giveaway to their employees in like 2006. And like one person had kept them pristine, you know, and didn't wear them. And now they were being sold at auction and they were like 70 something thousand dollars. And it just made me wonder if, you know, we should be thinking less that music NFTs are the same as buying a 45 or a 12 inch or like a EP of like the emerging band. And is it more like that we're just getting that early swag? Are we getting the early, you know, like that t-shirt from the first tour that they do that shows that we were there? I still think people don't understand how bad the economics are in the streaming side of business. And so the idea of music NFTs being able to replace that, I think is such a far away, if ever, way to think. Whereas I love the idea of token-gated artist playlists. You know, things that really just, that are built on top of an existing structure that make it easier. And I love the idea that, you know, anyone who went to the Madonna Blonde Ambition Tour and kept that t-shirt has a thing of real value, both sentimentally and if they wanted to sell it. And whether that's the real unlock for music NFTs, I don't know if either of those are right, but there is something that feels a little more comfortable for me as a fan. I think so too. I think people like to buy band tees to show off their affinity for that band and they like to have vinyls in their living room for when their friends are there and they can play them and obviously they'll want to go to concerts. I think a lot about digital spaces and I'm totally getting too far ahead of my skis here because not very many big, really successful digital like virtual 3D platforms support NFTs. But how when I think of the value for people in those spaces is about showing off how much they care about a band and to all their friends who are there communing with them on that platform. And we're just not there yet. But to me, that feels like one of the biggest opportunities. Sam, we've kept you here for a long time. So I just want to wrap up with one final question, which is, you know, there's a lot of people who probably would say, Sam has a really cool job. He gets to go to these shows. He gets to work with these amazing, you know, companies like Universal. I'm hoping you have good access at the concert itself at Coachella more than most of us have, but you also get to play in this future world of what Coachella can be. So do you have any like thoughts or advice on people who might be like starting their journey right now and looking at innovation, looking at Web3, looking at the live events business? Is there stuff that really inspired you to like go deeper into this space that maybe you could impart to a person who's just starting their career? I can speak mostly to like live events and Web3 here. I think there is a lot of crossover in the process for getting started in both. After all, I think both are very much focused around community building. And the community is really like the nucleus of success in any either of those spaces. I think most importantly is just to start really small. I think there's like your core team, but then right outside of that is the next five to 10 people that will make up the nucleus of the community nucleus, if you will, and really care about whatever it is that you're doing. And then I think you just need to, going back to user experience, right? You need to build an experience that people really, really love. Like these people, these core people. Don't worry about selling tickets or tokens. I think you want to build an experience that people love without incentives or money changing hands because while tickets or tokens might help you scale, I think it is unsustainable and will quickly collapse without that fuel. And I think that if you're doing it right, more people will want to be a part of what you're building. And once you kind of reach that experience market fit, if you will, then it's really time to think about ways to encourage more growth and to take the kind of next step from there. 
Sam, thank you so much for joining us, for sharing your insights, your musical journey, your innovation journey. And now I'm excited about Coachella 2024. I haven't been in a few years, so got to come back for it. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us on Gen Z. You bet. Thank you for having me. Let me know when you get out there. I will, for sure. We'll definitely see you there, Sam. Thanks a lot. That was fun. Always awesome to hear about people who make amazing things like Coachella happen and also his like honest takes, which I know you're always pushing for, Sam, really getting like the honest takes out of people, the good, the bad, the learnings, the real, real. And I feel like Sam really brought that today. Yeah. I mean, he and I spoke a couple months ago and it sounds like they have a lot of things that are coming that were just still also too early to release. So we might have to have a part two next year as more stuff comes on market. But I do think that What I really love about what Coachella is doing is the idea that if you think through the lens of gamification and how much people love music and events and the sort of intersection these days of gaming and music and culture, the idea of like an always on Coachella game where you can go both hear concerts and see bands and meet your friends, there's something there that could really work. And I think that's really what they're trying to do. What we didn't talk about was the fact that they're building it with Fortnite And we have talked in the past about UEFN and the idea that you can really now build all these custom experiences in Fortnite. I wonder at some point if they even let creators start to build into Coachella Island in ways that keep people coming back over and over. The other thing there that I thought was interesting was, you know, that he seems still a little bit bullish on music NFTs. I know that I'm a skeptic. I did listen to a conversation with I think it was Matt Medved and Ed Balloon that they had put out a clip from, which I thought, you know, Matt hit it right to say that maybe it is kind of the the early band merch you're getting and stop thinking about that you're the patron of, you know, the new musician and that you're going to be able to sell this for so much more later. Maybe it's really just being about showing support and having a digital collectibles around support. But other people seem to be much more into the music NFT thing than I am. So I keep waiting to get proven wrong because I would love for musicians to have new ways to make money. Well, I think that they really did in 2021. Like you remember that, I think it was the A16Z chart that was showing like how much more Web3 creators were making versus social creators. That was definitely a moment in time. A very singular moment in time. (laughs) Yes. They're like, yes. And if you're a Web3 creator, you make 4,000% more than a Spotify creator. Who would have ever guessed that that would not be sustainable? With that said, though, I am bullish theoretically on Web3 and music. I just haven't seen any use cases yet that like really have gained mainstream consumer adoption and attention. I mean, obviously the Avenged Sevenfold guys, like they've done some really cool stuff. We've seen a lot of companies dabble in this space, start to bring their communities into this fold, but we haven't yet seen this be that thing that's like, I gotta have it. I hate to say this, but I'm going to, that the real tokenization opportunity for music may lie in AI and the ability to tokenize your stems into AI so that someone could say, create a beat like The weekend that's 85 beats per minute, that's really moody and dark and this and that, and that he would be getting paid through a tokenization system. So I think that that still feels like it understands the music business. Yeah. It's so funny that, you know, Spotify has basically never made any money. Right. And the artists on Spotify basically never make any money. The only people that have made a ton of money are the labels. But really just because they're IP holders of talent. And similar to what we were talking about earlier with what's going on in the SAG strike, that talent is what powers all of these entertainment industries. And the more you continue to take the dollars away from them, you're reinforcing the old model 
and you're seating yourself an opening for someone else to reimagine a new one. And I think that's something that music desperately needs in the same way that some of these other creative industries are. And Sam, AI cannot be the answer to everything, just like NFTs cannot be the answer to everything. <laughs> I thought you'd be happy that I'm, I'm giving AI as the one answer that may actually work here. I think that that absolutely makes sense. I actually, this guy used to be on my creative team when I was running our APAC business, like recently just put out a song that he did using Grimes' AI. And I thought that that was amazing. He's such a creative person. And I was like, this is now you can co-create with your favorite artists. Like, you know, yeah. I think that we're going to see more and more of that happening. And it's just like anything, musicians and creators who lean into this, you know, spirit of innovation. Like often when you're the first mover, sometimes it doesn't work out, but sometimes it does. And, you know, those people who just continue to push the envelope time and time again are the ones who end up like cracking those massive opportunities. Absolutely. All right, Avery, let's wrap up. First of all, to our audience, thank you so much for all of the great comments that we got this week on our kind of pivot into a wider industry spectrum. We heard a lot of great stuff from you guys across, frankly, a lot of different channels, threads, LinkedIn, Twitter, some beautiful comments. And uh, I know we really appreciate that. So please keep those coming. With that said, we will wrap up and see you next week. See you next week, Gen C.